This afternoon we'll especially consider the message of Romans 9, 19 to 24 as it relates to what we confess, what we read together in our confession. These verses are referred to several times there. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that God chose to give some people faith so that they might be saved by grace, but that he passed other people by. As we read the Bible, as we seek to submit our lives to its truth, we have to interact with verses like Matthew 13, verse 11, where our Lord Jesus explained that the secrets of the kingdom were given to some and not given to everyone. Or our Lord's teaching in Matthew 11, that the Lord of heaven and earth hid knowledge from some people that he revealed to others. In the context of the reminder of Pharaoh's rebellion, the Holy Spirit explains in Romans 9 verse 18 that God has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. In Acts 14, verse 16, we read that God allows the wicked to walk in their own ways, which reminds us of Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 8, the Holy Spirit tells us that some people stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Whatever we might think about it, we cannot deny that our confession in chapter 1, article 15 of the Canons of Dort, is what the Scriptures teach. Out of his most free, most just, blameless, and unchangeable good pleasure, God has decreed to leave some people in the common misery into which they have by their own fault plunged themselves and not to give them saving faith and the grace of conversion. In Romans 9, the Holy Spirit helps us to talk about the question of election and reprobation by providing us with the illustration of a potter and a lump of clay. The illustration reminds us that there was nothing in Christians that made them stand out in any way from other people when God chose them for faith and salvation. Before it's formed, every clay vessel looks like all the other clay. And the clay contributes nothing to what it is shaped into. In the, at the end of the day, it's only the potter that can receive the praise for what the clay became. So the only thing that the teaching about election and reprobation teach us about ourselves is that we have nothing to boast about, ever. 
as the Holy Spirit says in Romans 9, verse 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And the illustration of Romans 9 focuses all our attention on God. Although there are many things that we don't understand, the Holy Spirit teaches us that the things are, things are the way they are because of God. As mere creatures in the universe created by a sovereign, eternal, holy creator. We're like Job. We, we put our hands over our mouths and we learn about the holiness of God. His purpose for creating mankind according to his good pleasure. His freedom to decide the role of every single person in that plan, whether they have an honorable or a dishonorable use in God's hands, and his absolute and complete mercy for those whom he preserves to eternal glory. I preach to you this gospel under the theme, God is the potter and we are the clay. We'll see the potter molds the clay into vessels for different uses, and the potter marks the clay vessels prepared for glory. So we got to begin now, and there's several children here this afternoon. We got to think about the last time you played with Play-Doh. Maybe the adults can do the same thing. When was the last time you played with Play-Doh or clay? Do you remember when you did that? Maybe you made a snake. If you went to level two, you rolled the snake up into a snail. Maybe you made balls out of the Play-Doh or the clay. Now as you're playing with the Play-Doh, can you think of any similarities between the Play-Doh or just like clay and yourself? Was there anything similar between the Play-Doh and you? Can clay or Play-Doh think? Can it reason? Can it see the big picture? Is there any chance that your Play-Doh knows more about something than you do? Well, of course not, right? And that's the first thing we need to pay attention to in the comparison that Paul is using in Romans 9. There is a huge difference between people and Play-Doh or clay. The Apostle Paul compares the, the difference between people and Play-Doh to the difference between the holy God and all the people he created. The starting point in the comparison of the potter and the clay ought to be found in the absolute difference between the potter as a living, a thinking, planning, purposeful being and clay and Plato that just sits there. It's just made to serve the potter. And this is the God we worship. He is the potter. We are the clay. He is holy. He is the one who is and was and is to come. He is mighty. He is an avenger of the wicked while, while merciful and gracious to those who fear him. He is the Lord. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And we are creatures who just say, to him are all things. Through him are all things. For him are all things. That's the first picture. He is the potter and we are the clay. 
Now as you imagine yourself sitting in front of the Play-Doh, the piece of clay, the second thing you should notice is your freedom as a child with Play-Doh in front of you or as a, as a, a, a potter to make whatever you want. The person who makes stuff out of Play-Doh is called a molder or a potter. And if you are a potter, you can decide to make any number of things and there's nothing the clay can do to stop you. You'd be free to make whatever you want with your own clay. You could leave it as a useless lump. You could shape it and prepare it for some use. You could make a vessel that only has a temporary function before it's destroyed. Or you could make a masterpiece that will last a long time, revealing your skill and your love for making clay beautiful. And so whether the potter makes a toilet, or a skeet, a clay pigeon, or a wine carafe, or a sculpture for display in royal palaces, the potter is free to do what he wants with his clay. The clay has no say in what you make, never asks, why did you make me like that? The Holy Spirit reminds us that like a potter, God is free to make objects for whatever purpose, even objects for destruction if he wants to. Just like you're free to make skeets just to blow them out of the air with your shotgun. He's free to use nations as instruments in his hands to serve his purposes. Just like a commander in an army is free to appoint people to very high-risk tasks. And if a soldier obeys his commander without question because he knows his life is being given into a bigger cause, how much more will we accept the order, an order that we received from the eternal God? God can do what he wants with his creation. And in fact, the Bible tells us God does do whatever he wants. And his revelation of what he does is a proclamation of his name. Now the next thing we notice is that a potter can have any number of reasons for deciding to make the different vessels that he ends up making. And each of these reasons serves a purpose in his big plan, even if the clay is unable to see it. If you were a potter, you might decide to make some vessels for sale in the marketplace to make a profit. You might make other things to give as gifts to your friends, to build relationships, others to show the world what you're capable of doing, and still others you might use to, to set over torches and then smash to surprise the enemy in battle. No matter what the clay may be molded into, its very existence serves the potter. The clay is always serving the potter because it's an expression of who he is and what he wants. In the same way that we know that every person on the face of the earth serves the purposes of our great and holy creator. Although the clay may never understand the plans of the molder and why the potter chose some clay for honorable use and other clay for dishonorable uses, 
This lack of understanding on the clay's part doesn't mean the Creator doesn't have any reasons. In Romans 9 verse 22, we can see that Paul is helping us just to, to realize there may be reasons we, we don't even understand. Beginning with the question, what if? What if it's this? What if it's that? Paul gives several possible explanations for God's decision to have mercy on some and to harden others. Besides the fact that God's election and his reprobation displays his power so that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth so that the, the people might say God is holy, holy, way beyond us in everything, completely different than we are. Paul gives other reasons. It could be that he, he, he has a desire to reveal his wrath, his power, his patience, his mercy, and his grace. We may not understand, but God does. And that is enough information for anyone who knows the Lord, anyone who knows and trusts in his wisdom and his grace. And when curious, prying questions arise in our minds that perhaps even end up causing us to think less of God, or when anger and belligerence arise in our hearts and minds, and then you ask, like we read in Romans 9, verse 19, why does he still find fault? Or who can resist his will? Just remember the situation, the picture that Paul gives. There you are, you're sitting in front of a table, and there's a lump of clay or Play-Doh in front of you. And then tell yourself, I am the clay. And God is the potter. Who am I to answer back to God? And the final thing we can consider as we mold the dough or the clay in front of us is how much more useful clay is after we have molded it than it was before we touched it. Well, in the same way, when we look at our lives, when we see how the hand of God has shaped our lives to make us the people we are today. We're overjoyed at his handiwork. Our experience of God's hand in our life is an experience of his great grace and his mercy. God did not leave us in common misery, like a potter turning away from a lump of clay, but he took hold of us. He molded us. He, he shaped us. In fact, he continues to mold us, stretching and squeezing us with trials, passing us through the fire to prepare us for no, noble service in his kingdom. And if that were not enough, in order to help us in our struggle with doubts, in his grace, he also makes it clear that we have been prepared for glory. He marks clay vessels prepared for glory. We noticed in the confession that the confession is specifically speaking to people who may be afraid of the doctrine of reprobation. They read about election. They read about God not showing mercy to some. And they wonder about their own situation. They're maybe unable to be sure if they or their young children are a vessel prepared for destruction or for glory. Well, Article 16 reminds us that if we want to serve the Lord in our hearts, 
then we should not be afraid of the doctrine of reprobation. And our confession works this out by presenting several scenarios for our consideration. And it shows us that it's possible to see already now that we have been prepared for glory by the work that God is doing in our hearts. His grace to us is evident in our place in the covenant and in our heartfelt desire to serve him in life and in death. And so we can think of the scenarios that are presented in Article 16. If you have it in front of you, you can, you can see that. The first one is the, the person who's unable to discern a living faith in Christ, an assured confidence of heart, peace of conscience, a zeal for childlike obedience, and a glorying in God through Christ. They look at their lives, they don't see signs of these things. But it continues to describe this scenario, and maybe it's your scenario, in, in, your, in your concern for your situation. The fact that these things bother you, you continue then to use the means that God has provided to give you these things. So you, you're there, you're not seeing a lot of it, but you're reading your Bible, you're, you're praying to the Lord, you never stop going to the worship services. And when you look at your spiritual life, you feel kind of like an icy log, a log that cannot burn for the Lord. And you may wonder if you are among the elect of God, our confession comforts you, comforts us, by pointing out that because you continue to rely on God to strengthen your faith, and bring you near to him, you do not need to fear the teaching of reprobation. Even though it may appear to you that nothing is happening in your heart, you must take comfort in the fact that you are in the place where God changes hearts. Although you are like an icy log, you are resting on the roaring fire of God's spirit and his word, and like an icy log, you can expect that a time of more abundant grace was coming, that the fire will enter your soul. Although you are, although the teaching of reprobation is rightfully fearful for those who who despise the Lord, who are running away from the worship of the Lord, who, who, who are embracing the deceitfulness of wealth and worldliness, those who come in humility before the Lord, who pray for that working of his spirit through the means that he has given, do not need to fear the teaching of reprobation. Your desire for peace with God is a mark that you are a vessel prepared for glory and not destruction. Now maybe you're like the person described in the second scenario in Article 16 person that's like a smoldering wick or a bruised reed. In your case, you feel a strong desire to experience the joy of conversion, and you don't really like being enslaved to sin, but you never seem to have the strength to gain the victory over these sins. You're still a reed, but you're soft in the middle. You're unable to stand up straight. You're still a wick, 
producing some heat, but it's just a tiny ember with smoke rather than a burning flame. You want to worship the Lord in your heart because you believe in God and you believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ, but it's very difficult to be consistent. You find you keep falling, you keep stumbling. In such a case, your heart's desire is evidence of God's work in your heart. And if you see signs of God's transforming power, even if it's only in what you desire, we confess that we do not need to fear the teaching of reprobation or give up. You could trust that God is working in your heart through his word and spirit to fan that desire into a flame. Be assured that people who want to serve the Lord, who are doing something about it, yes, any piece of clay that wants to serve the Lord will not be thrown out. God is not shutting the door in the face of anyone who's turning their face to him, even pleading for mercy. Your God-word focus is evidence of the potter's hand in your life, his desire for you to spend eternity with him. Let us not lose heart when we pass through spiritually cold times, but face our lives with a new resolve to let God work in us by his word and spirit. The third scenario that our confession touches on is the case of a child of believers who dies in infancy. A baby dying in the womb or a person dying while still being very young, whether physically or mentally, does not have the opportunity to show evidence of faith as a fruit of election. And since just being a part of the covenant is not a guarantee of, of election, believing parents of, believer, or believing parents of children who die in infancy may wonder whether or not they will see their children in heaven. Well, the pastoral response of the church is that since children of believers are born in the church and remain directly connected to members of the body of Christ, the head, they are also included with their parents in the grace of God that is promised in the covenant and often symbolized in the, with the sacrament of baptism. Although they have not even had a chance to give evidence of their faithful response, they have also not had the opportunity to reject the promises that they share in together with their parents. Having been born in the place of salvation through Christ, in the church as part of Christ's body through their parents, we can be sure that such children also share in God's grace. You see, we're all saved by grace alone and not by works. And we see that so clearly in this comforting aspect of our confession. It's not as if children who die in infancy are treated any differently by God than other covenant children who, by the grace of God, do come to the point of professing their faith in Jesus Christ. And then we look at it, we see that children of believers who die in infancy 
are spared the trials of life on earth, but they will not miss on the salvation that Christ Jesus has obtained for believers. God would never take children of believers out of this life in their infancy if they were not also elect. And so the doctrine of reprobation should not make believing parents afraid. And so we see it's all God's grace, not the works of men in any way. The only ones who reject the Lord, who turn away, are wanting to turn away from the Lord. They don't want to live a holy and humble life in service to the creator of heaven and earth because the desires to persist in sin is stronger. And we look at ourselves and we see how this confession calls us to humble ourselves before God, to embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, and to continue to use the means that God has given to help us to serve, to grow near to him, the preaching, the sacraments, and the discipline, the spiritual worship of the church. And so we end where we began, giving all the glory to God. He is wise. He is just. He is holy. He is compassionate. What a privilege it is to be clay that has been molded by his hands so that we might be useful in his kingdom, a pleasure for him to have at his side. We praise the Lord. Amen. We'll now sing together of the compassion of our Father, compassion of a father to his children. Psalm 103, stanzas 4 and 5, standing if you're able to stand.